0: KYW News Radio original podcasts
1: from KYW News Radio 103.9 FM. This is Flashpoint, shining light on the issues that matter to you in Philadelphia. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives.
0: What's happening, everybody? I'm Jay Scott Smith, and this week on Flashpoint, Juneteenth officially became a federal holiday this week, and we take a look at why this day is as much of a reflection as it is a celebration for Black Americans.
2: Juneteenth is a memory that we have
0: of what our work is supposed to be. Plus, this is also Father's Day weekend, and our panel takes a look at the power of Black fathers as well as Black men's mental health.
3: Mental health and emotional wellness is every man's right.
0: And this week's Changemaker has created a space to help black men address and heal from their mental trauma.
3: So the men
4: can come and go, and this is like, really become a really safe space, brotherhood for the men.
0: This will be a very raw and real half hour, and it's coming up right here on Flashpoint. Welcome back to Flashpoint. And on Thursday, President Biden formally made Juneteenth a federal holiday. It's the first new federal holiday here in the United States since Martin Luther King Day was formally signed into law back in 1983. But for many Americans, what Juneteenth is, how it came to be, and its cultural importance to African-Americans is still not fully understood. So what is Juneteenth? And how did last year's racial reckoning play a role in its emergence into American society? And what is the meaning of freedom for African-Americans? KWW Sherrod A. Howard talked about this with Vashtai Dubois, the executive director of the Colored Girls Museum in Germantown.
5: Welcome, Vashti. It's so nice to see you again.
0: Happy Juneteenth.
5: Now let's talk about the actual history of Juneteenth, or June 19th, 1865 now. In so many ways, Juneteenth is and was the actual newsmaker, recently made into a national holiday. It's also known as the African-American Day of Emancipation, the day that a group of enslaved people in Galveston, Texas finally got the news of the end of slavery.
2: Absolutely. This is when we begin to celebrate Mm -hmm. freedom, for black folks in this country after the war. But the reality is that some folks didn't find out until two years later that we were free. And so our July 4th, which is June 19th, takes on really, really deep significance because it, like so much of our history, is just fraught, right? So like even how we celebrate. And some make the argument that the people
5: that didn't find out, it was because they were so far out, it was impossible for them to get the news. You know, there
2: was no internet. But, you know, there are some people who say as soon as Abraham Lincoln was dead, People knew it like all over the place. So we do know, yeah, there was no internet. But if you want the news to get out there, the news has a way of getting out there. So for those of you who don't know, yes, Juneteenth was just a continuation of Justice Delayed. The significance of the day runs so deep in the experience is justice
5: layered within the Black communities. It's a celebration, but it also serves as a reminder.
2: There's so many reasons that it's significant. It's, um, It's kind of like a parable that I think we have to continue to sort of meditate on, right? What does it mean to wait for justice to arrive? And how does that really sort of sit within the story of Black folks in this country? It gives a whole other sort of meaning to this concept, this idea, this language of colored people's time, right? How we get to understand and relate to how time can be currency for us is just not the same as anybody else. So even when we think about Juneteenth, every year when Black folks are thinking about Juneteenth, like within the moment that we find ourselves in. So it is 2021. And last year in 2020, we were like in the triple pandemic, right? We were in these streets, protesting in these streets with our mask on. And we were also beginning to deal with the economic fallout of this pandemic, as well as a political pandemic. This is a really good time for us to to think about Juneteenth and what it means right now, right? Because now in 2020 2021, we are just beginning to maybe understand what the impact of last year did to us. So if we think about that alongside the news that enslaved people were free and they get that news two years later right? If we think about that and then we think about the math problem of this moment, we don't have the collective knowledge of the impact. We know that we've lost businesses. We know that we've lost friends and relatives. We know that our communities have changed dramatically, but we don't actually have the data. And so what does Juneteenth mean? The celebration of we got the news that we are in this maybe post-pandemic moment and we can come outside, we can celebrate. We can mourn our dead. We can try to begin to pick up the pieces that have been like scattered, the economic impact of this moment. It is not just that it took two years for the news to travel. So you're free, but free to do what?
5: It was announced that
2: Juneteenth is now a national holiday. What are your thoughts, Veshti? Black people don't need another holiday. It's nice in theory, but we need economic freedom, cultural freedom, freedom of the imagination. We need to be able to walk on these streets and not fear being killed by police officers. A holiday is not going to do that. A holiday is a symbolic gesture. Everybody loves a day off. But when we get right down to it, while we declare this a national holiday, let's also then declare January 6th what it was, a tear down, a complete mutiny, and was such a clear example of the difference between how we treat white folks and how we treat black folks. And so let's hold these things up next to each other and let's think about what it means, like what the symbol means. We know the names, George Floyd, Tamir Rice, Manuel Ellis,
5: So many black men, black sons and daughters,
2: lost. So again, the next time you talk about black folks protesting, rioting in these streets, I want us to really be able to think about how far we will go to not hold white people accountable in the same way that we hold black people accountable. So I'm talking about the leaders in this country.
5: So Juneteenth is about celebrating freedom, but in contrast, you're saying, to truly create
2: freedom, you must give equality. Not holidays. So again, Juneteenth is a national holiday. But but like, freedom for who? Vashdai. This is some deep stuff. There's a sort of a limbo, I guess. Are you free to make your own work? Are you free to have your own land? Are you free to have your own houses? Like, what does freedom mean? There's some connection between how long It takes for us to really understand the impact. What has been lost? How long has it taken? And in fact, when did the clock start? But if we're really thinking about it, it started before then. Enslavement, you think about the war. The clock didn't start with the winning of the war because the winning of the war is really sort of like a metaphor. It was gonna take how many years? Like, where are we now? And using this Juneteenth to really think, where's our Texas? right? Where's our philosophical, emotional, psychological, spiritual Texas? How long does it take before we actually know?
5: Now, Philadelphia celebrates Juneteenth in a very personal way. And for some reason, this day speaks to the heart of this city. What is it about Juneteenth in particular?
2: Philadelphia has had a lot of firsts that have been rolled back. So Philadelphia was really the first state to like, really to give black people the right to vote. And then of course they had a nervous breakdown and they took it away. The constitution, this is the place. And I've always said to people, you know, Philadelphia, unlike any other state that I've lived in, I think she really has a cultural mandate to do the right thing. Do you mean there's like a cultural legacy,
5: a cultural responsibility that Philadelphia has to
2: adhere to because of our history, like being the first city, having some of the most beautiful art, incredible artists, all of that to me points to the moral mandate because the work of the city, what gets created here, what gets produced here, what gets celebrated here, these are all evidence of the stature of Philadelphia and what should be its commitment. So when we think about why Juneteenth is so important to black folks in this city, I think I feel that that, it must be important. There's something in the land. There's something in the water. And I feel like Juneteenth is a memory that we have of what our work is supposed to be. Black folks in Philadelphia know. And I, and when Juneteenth comes around, we have a moment of necessary memory here where we remember that we're actually supposed to be leading this charge. There's something that is about a kind of liberation for Black people that every other part of this country should be paying attention to.
5: Speaking of the civil rights era, the March on Gerard College. Cecil B. Moore, and how often Martin Luther King marched in these streets. And you think about Harriet Tubman. And Harriet Tubman, exactly. You say they're doing a call and response, calling on us as a co-liberator. And on Juneteenth, when we hear this, we feel this. The muscle memory is so real.
2: Absolutely right. There is a muscle memory, and that muscle memory, that muscle memory, I think, is ancient here. It gets liberated. I think on Juneteenth, the ancestors arrive. And I just think that they invite us to remember. Philadelphia has welcomed so many. I believe that that's part of her cultural mandate, is that she knows. If you could, Vashti, leave us with one thought this Juneteenth. My mama used to say, when you know better, the world moves on you in a particular way. She doesn't hold you accountable for the stuff you don't know, but the stuff that you do know, she holds you accountable for. Philadelphia is accountable because she knows some things. Thank you, Vashti, and happy Juneteenth. Thank you.
0: Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at donors1.org. Now coming up next, Father's Day is also this weekend, and our panel discussion looks at the importance of black fatherhood as well as addressing the mental health of black men who battle so many internal and external issues in society. Now, we're joined this week by Joel Austin, who runs Daddy University, which helps black men in particular with the ins and outs of fatherhood. We're also joined by Shamir Moore, who runs Be Renewed Consulting, which focuses on couples and family therapy. And Isan Hines, who leads My Brother's Keeper Cares, which provides resources to improve the mental health of the black community. Joel, tell us a little bit about Daddy University, what got it started, and why it continues to drive you to do this, the importance of being a good father.
6: Daddy University, is. we are now the longest running uh, male parenting education company in the United States, uh, minority owned. We do a father's club, which is a bi-weekly support group and educational group for dads of all ages, ranges, and colors and creeds. We also do an event called the Daddy Daughter Dance in Philadelphia. We have a couple of new programs. One of ours is a doulas for dads program where we try to get into our fathers early. I mean, what drives me is the missing education that I did not receive while I was having my sons. And I felt that so it would be a better world, a better place if both parents were educated on on infant, child, youth development. If we understood what puberty looks like, what it's about to look like. If we had a place to go when you're not sure how to change a diaper, it was time for change. And the change is that university. Mental health is a big issue in our community. And in a lot of cases,
0: it does not help that there's some of the psychological trauma that comes just from being black in America. Mm-hmm. You know, again, and also being a part of the black family where there are these these kind of misguided notions about us in a lot of ways. And Shamir, when you've done like marriage counseling work and you've looked at some of the things that you've that you've encountered here, what do you see? What do you see there that sometimes could be maybe some of the biggest issues that are that are in some of these black families?
3: Sure. I think that's an excellent question, Jay. I think What tends to happen um, in the counseling room is that a lot of our black men, our black brothers are struggling with severe anxiety, depression, uh, trauma from various stressors and outside factors, but unfortunately their mental health issues continue to go unrecognized and underrated. Um, They're untreated and undiagnosed. And so I think it's important to note that while 17 million people in our country are impacted by depression each year, Black Americans are at least 20% more likely to have serious psychological distress than our white counterparts. Um, within the black community, you know, stigma is a word that we continue to try to squash and uh, work through. But it is important to note that black men, uh, for years, you know, have considered therapy, counseling, working on their feelings and emotions, a bit of uh, taboo. It's not very easy. It's not natural to be vulnerable. So you know, therefore um, a lot of husbands and partners and fathers, they're not always eager to discuss the the things that they're most passionate about or concerned about um, on a day-to-day basis. And to the outside looking in, that might look like uh, some of our young black men or uh, some of our young black boys kind of shutting down in a sense or isolating. But in fact, if the behavior was never really modeled at home uh, to begin with that, hey, it's okay to healthily process and acknowledge your feelings, um, they're, they're not really going to know how to do otherwise, and it's not going to be second nature. It has to be encouraged and celebrated and, and definitely worked with Jay.
0: And uh, you bring up a good point there when it comes to young Black men, grown Black men, Black boys, and our mental health. I bring in Isan here. The date, August 31st, 2007, resonates with you yeah. because, unfortunately, that was the day that you lost your brother, Atif. Talk to us a little bit about what he was going through and how that inspired you to start My Brother's Keeper cares.
7: So uh, honestly, I'm not familiar with his struggle at the time. Like I try to look back and see like some of the different circumstances of his life. And it's really difficult to understand if there were certain things he may have been going on externally. But internally, I've battled depression and I've often wondered whether or not genetically there were some things that had just been passed down that we've been predisposed to within our family. So I think that he had a type of chemical imbalance, which I discovered that I had and had to take some medicine and seek therapy for. But I think that he just didn't have the same tools and the types of training, the things that Joel and, and Shamir were talking about. Like it just wasn't normalized to discuss mental health within the community, the family, absentee father. You don't really have certain guidance there on how to navigate relationships, how to navigate disappointments, how to deal with disappointments in life.
0: Since then. With your organization, what do you do to help promote mental health awareness?
7: So even though I lost a brother to suicide, I struggle with my own thoughts and a plan to take my life. So I get out in front by promoting my struggle and also promoting the things that helped me to overcome those struggles. So I'm very vulnerable or transparent about my own mental health battles but then I also connect with other men and other organizations who do the same like Black Men Hill reaching out to other people who are doing things that systemically can change the circumstances that depress us so if people are dealing with financial issues try to connect people with resources to increase their their economic status or if people are struggling with literacy connect them with people who can help them with their education so just trying to be out in front systemically, but also by being transparent about my own struggles.
0: As I look at the three of you here, the first question that pops into my head now is,
6: what are the relationships you had with your fathers? What did you experience growing up? I've lived in a family with uh, my mother and my father. Uh, My dad was a man's man. He was a man. He took care of family. He was a provider and financially. And I got all of that from him. Uh, On the other hand, um, from my brothers and other other dads in my neighborhood, I also got the, that nurturing side, um, that nurturing and care side. My dad w- was from a different generation and from generations passed down, you'll see in the last 40, and 50 years, fatherhood has changed dramatically. 50 years ago, you were kind of soft to be pushing a stroller. And now 50 years later, it's the coolest thing in the world. But I found something happened within the generations. And part of it was the women's empowerment movement. The Women's empowerment Movement pushed women to the workplace and further up in the workplace, which left some gaps at home. And a lot of men filled those gaps and they found out that fatherhood wasn't passe. It was actually fun. I'm proud of the fact that I know the theme song to Frozen back and forth. I'm proud that I'm actually being able to have certain support. There's certain bonds to this. I mean, there's certain things that we bring to the table that are now being highlighted. One of the issues specifically we talk about mental health We've been dealing with a a major disease specifically with black men and the major disease we call it is uh i got it this if we break it down it's called i got this where we believe that we got this that we we are okay that that i can handle it and i'm all right um so our job is to come in and say i know you feel like you got this but you're going to have to get this parenting thing together no parent has ever parenting a child by themselves the village has always parented our children. Shamir, how about you? How about your
0: relationship with, with your dad, father figure in your life?
3: Uh, luckily, my father was always present throughout my life. Uh, unfortunately, my parents being young and not really um, very familiar with a lot of resources out there, whether it was you know Christian counseling in the church or actual marriage and family therapist, they did divorce when I was rather young at five years old. And so living between... Uh, Two households. It wasn't always easy, less than ideal. So I can't uh, paint it as such. But I love what Joel says about it takes a village. Um, I was blessed to essentially have three father figures growing up, even though my father and mother didn't live under the same roof. You know, my father was there for me, he did the best that he possibly could at the time for me. I also had a wonderful grandfather. It almost seems like whatever my father wasn't able to supply, you know, in the moment, I had my grandfather to look up to, may he rest in peace. And I also have an older brother, Charles, also sort of a, a father to me. So I say all that to say, you know, when you're young and you're married and you're trying to figure out this walk of life, you just don't know sometimes what you don't know. And me, Uh, Now someone who is a mental health uh, professional, it's truly a privilege and a gift to start restoring more marriages and promoting healthy uh, family dynamics, healthy couples within the Black
7: community. And Isad, how about you? Well, I wasn't raised by my father. I was raised by a single mom. I do know who my father is, and I gained a relationship with him as I became an adult. And I started realizing that through my own experiences being a young father, when I first had my son, he's now turning 16 next week, I started learning about some of the struggles of relationships, and I got to see my dad differently. He wasn't just not around because he chose to not be around. It was a relationship with my mom that failed. And I actually learned to forgive him and also learned to understand more about where I didn't lack. I didn't lack fully because I had uncles. I also had my grandfather. I had mentors. I had people who took me under their wing and made sure that I learned and that I stayed away from the street. It also motivated me to make sure when I had an opportunity to be a father, that I was more present and that I was going to not make some of the decisions that were going to destroy relationships and then also impact my children.
0: Your dads mean so much to you. As men, we, Black men particularly, we carry a certain weight. This is also Juneteenth weekend. And... So much of that history is also laid out, laid bare, especially the way society is right now. How much of a weight does some of the racism, some of the issues we as Black men deal with contribute to the stress and the strain in relationships of our own mental health and everything we're dealing with?
3: I think that, uh, Jay, the racism, the systemic racism that has been at play in our country for uh, centuries, it continues to uh, cut deep. And unfortunately, as so many of, um, you know, the the other panelists have spoken about, it's hard enough in our society to be a man because there's so many expectations. The stakes are high. uh, You're considered, you know, the the head of the household, the provider, and so many other roles that you have to play, both personally and professionally. You know, when you add being a man of color, an African-American or Black man in the mix, I think it uh, just intensifies and amplifies the difficulties and the stressors. Some of the most uh, common barriers to treatment for uh, Black men in our society are due to the systemic discrimination that is at play, socioeconomic and pay gaps, the long history of medical distrust uh, within the medical community, both our primary care physicians and psychologists the lack of culturally competent clinicians uh, that are not available and easily accessible globally. There is also uh, large stigma surrounding medication. If I can't trust my healthcare com- provider and I'm not certain that the healthcare provider is even culturally competent, truly cares about me, my walk of life, my experience as a black individual on this earth, um, You know, who's to say I wanna open up to that individual, let alone take a prescription or do some sort of therapeutic work that I'm not even certain of. Um, Sadly, black people are less likely to have health insurance. And then to take it a a step further, if you are blessed to have health insurance, it may not always be uh, quality health insurance. So we have to examine that as a major barrier. Sometimes I'll also hit on this point in terms of the stigma and what that looks like within our community, You know, being depressed, sometimes our black men will uh, normalize that, right? Kind of suppress it because talking about it would uh, make me appear to be weak, which we know is not the case there's definitely strength in being truthful, transparent and vulnerable. Also important to note that black men are four times more likely to die by suicide than their black female counterparts. So the race, I think, just kind of uh, makes everything all the more inflammatory, Jay. Again, hard enough to be a man and not be able to openly talk about your feelings, your struggles, to ask for help, to ask for assistance. But then when you throw in the systemic barriers at play, uh, it makes life all the more difficult to navigate.
0: And Isan, I saw you nodding in agreement there at a lot of the points you made too.
7: Yeah, absolutely. Personally, I, I don't want to just focus on my own experience, but I do want to say that I've encountered a lot of people who are just angry. So then that comes out with, that comes to, to a place where you're, you don't have an outlet, right? right? So if you are very angry and you don't even know who to communicate with or how to communicate and therapy is not accessible or not available, you don't know that it's available, then it can cause so much more depression within, and it can just cause so much more other issues. If someone, if there's an angry black man, who's to say that that won't lead to domestic abuse, or that may not lead to some other type of violence in the community. If you feel hopeless and feel like you're even pushed down from a racial standpoint where you can't achieve a certain amount of money to take care of your family, does that mean that you're going to go commit a crime in order to do it? So I'm starting to see the systemic things, but I also, realizing that there's just a lack of education about resources. I didn't know about the EAP program, that's an employee assistance program that a lot of jobs offer for you to get therapy. I didn't realize that was going on until I actually hit rock bottom and had somebody say, you know what, this is available. Also, wasn't aware that a lot of the therapists that are African-American aren't allowed to be put in programs where they can get, where their therapy is available for just a copay. So they may have to upcharge for their therapy and then they become less available to the community. It may want them because they have to charge a flat high fee instead of being available for say a $30 copay so. It is compounded and it's very yeah. disheartening at times. I'm just grateful that, that I've discovered therapy and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to talk to other people about the processes that I discovered to be successful.
0: This all makes us better men, better people. Yes, and, it does. and Joel with you, Being so focused on fatherhood, being a good being a good father, especially being a good black father. Very important. How much does some of the outside
6: stuff, the external stuff weigh on you as a father? It definitely weighs because I go through this uh, two sides of a coin as a black male. I have astigmatism. I have stereotypes. Uh, I'm looked at as the first person for domestic violence. When I walk into an office, I looked at as violent. I'm looked at, I am actually 6'2", 200 pounds. So I'm looked at as arrogant. I'm looked at possible criminal as I walk down the street. And, and it is what it is until we change it ourselves. On the other side of uh, the coin, I'm actually a Black father. Uh, so I'm actually very caring, very loving, very nurturing. I am one of the, the the major and have always been a supporter of our black women on fatherhood.gov. If you go to the statistics section, Af- African-American fathers are more engaged in all other races. African-American fathers are more playful than almost all other races. And African-American fathers are more involved, physically involved and mentally involved in their children's lives than all other races. African-American fathers, we hover, Uh, which means even if we're not with the family many of times we don't stay far away we're in the same west philly hood north philly hood we're still in those same areas Uh, we like to try to keep our children close so you have this mix of when i go to the park people look at me as why is he in the park is he here to drink x y and z the reality is that i'm there with my kids so when i go to the park it's different people say things like it's good to see you with your children and i'm thinking Well, that's what all fathers do. All fathers go to the park with their kids. Why is it good to see me with my kids? And I get comments probably like others, like your kids really act well and your kids really speak well. And I don't know how to take those slighted um, compliments. Uh, Like backhanded compliments. It's a kind of backhanded compliments. And and it's because I'm a black father. I'm seen. but the reality is I see black fathers all the time. It's just that you, I see people in t-shirts on the news more than I see fathers, a uh, filming of a father in the park. If you go to the park right now, there's, there's. I see young dads, I see middle dads pushing strollers. I see them with babies on their back, babies on the front. It's just a, such an unseen thing. But when something happens or we see black fathers in our neighborhood, we actually don't have single parents in our neighborhood because we have so much village. Um, you have a situation where on the census you have to mark whether you're head of household or who's in your household. The census says it's a single-family home, but the census doesn't regulate that we're with your fathers Thursday through Sunday. The census doesn't have a way of having two families involved in a child's life. The census just marks down that one. So, there's gonna be issues around co-parenting. And we co-parent a lot in our neighborhoods. We take people to get sneakers and haircuts and, and we just have them around playing basketball all the time. It's, there's a stigma because I have to weigh who is looking at me as a black man and who is believing me and seeing me as a black father. So I walk tall in my black fathership, um, wh- no matter what they think, no matter what they think, they're going to see me as a as a, As an idol, they're going to see me in in my role and they're going to see how black fathers walk through this world. And we walk through this world very proud. As we get ready to wrap this up, and just by you saying that, it makes me think of when I was in high school in Detroit,
0: my dad was a police officer. He would often be working during the day and my meets or games would start. And then just out of nowhere, someone would usually at certain points during a track meet, even if I'm on the starting line or I'm just finishing, someone would walk up and say, there's a police officer suddenly standing around here looking for you. And I look over and it's like, it's my dad in his uniform. He would come straight from where he was and just pull up in uniform to make sure he was there, even during my football games, my track meets. And that sticks with you. That means so much to you, especially young black men with the stigma of our absentee or quote unquote absentee fathers. And there's not a support there. As we start to wrap this up, I'm going to go around one time. Each one of you give give one misconception that people have about black fathers and for the two black fathers I have here give me the best thing about being a dad
7: the misconception I think Joel already spoke to it is that that we're not there and the best thing for me just about being a dad is is seeing how much how much potential my children have it's a lot I can add to is I have two boys and I have a daughter and it's different for each of them but just seeing how much love is in in children And how much that brings about a lesson from God through them. Like the Bible says, the children are a gift from God. And the more that I am involved with my children's lives and just able to see how they they develop, I'm able to see why. It's because he allows you to develop character and a level of selflessness through being a father.
6: And Joel, how about you? My one word that surrounds fatherhood is purpose. I now have purpose. I have purpose to live, purpose to wake up. Everything changed. Um, I was a man and I w- was safe and secure. Uh, but once I saw my child being born, it, the switch went on. I went to nurturing and, and, and that my life changed. Um, I find joy in the smallest of things. Uh, all the mistakes I made, I get to say, go this way, go that way. And, instead, I have purpose now. And Shamir, how about you? The one misconception, also maybe just something
0: great about your experience with your dad and the men in your life.
3: The one uh, misconception or myth that I'd love to shut down is that uh, Black men and Black fathers who might struggle with uh, mental illness, namely depression, have to stay depressed. And I want to uh, just declare openly that that is not so. That is not the case. And more and more uh, Black men are getting in touch with their feelings, their needs, asking for help, uh, realizing that it takes a village and there are trained uh, clinical professionals that can assist with that among so many other wonderful men and women throughout the community and tapping into those resources. And I also think that um, our faith and social communities, namely in Philadelphia, must continue to be aware of mental illness and the the perils that our black men face um, and point them in the right direction of not only support, but adequate resources that are available and where to plug into the community and get the help that they so deserve. Um, I also want to say that uh, mental health and emotional wellness is every man's right and to take it a step further every black man's right. Um, I want to thank my father and my late grandfather and my brother for all the love and support and guidance they've given to me uh, and the laughs and the good times over the years. Uh, Truly, I stand on their shoulders and I wouldn't be the uh, young woman I am today without those three powerful Black men.
0: And I want to thank the three of you for coming on with us. Joel Austin, Esan Hines, and Shamir Holmes. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Flashpoint. If you're considering home care for yourself or a loved one, Patriot Home Care makes it easy with a caring and compassionate staff. Don't be overwhelmed by all the choices. Let Patriot Home Care help. Patriot Home Care is growing with offices throughout Philadelphia and now in Delaware. Patriot is accepting caregivers and new clients virtually as well. At Patriot, you will love what you do and feel rewarded by taking care of people who need your help. Patriot also offers some of the area's best pay, benefits, and a $600 sign-on bonus to new caregivers. Visit PatriotHomeCare.org.
1: The Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week is presented by Patriot Home Care.
0: And welcome back to Flashpoint. And this week's changemaker is a woman who's focused on creating a space for men of color to help them access mental wellness, as well as take down that stigma that's associated with all forms of mental illness, particularly in the black community. Here's KYW's Antoinette Lee.
8: During this pandemic year filled with grief, job loss, and racial unrest, a mental health nonprofit started by two local licensed black therapists has quickly become a lifeline for hundreds of men in underserved communities.
4: We provide free quality therapy to men of color, also match them up specifically with culturally competent providers.
8: Tasneem Sulemane and Zakia Williams are founders of the organization called Black Men Heal.
4: My private practice was doing very well, but I just felt like there was not a, a lot of black men who were coming in to therapy um, and as I started to really kind of look into what might some of those reasons be one of the big reasons was cost and even though people would call for therapy oftentimes I had to turn people away because I didn't take their insurance and they couldn't afford it.
8: Tazneem says that was the beginning of their mission to eliminate the barriers between black men and therapy. Co-founder Zakia says another major barrier that prevents men of color from seeking the healing they need includes the stigma surrounding mental health.
4: So on our application, we asked if they're willing to talk about their experience with eight other black men. And that's one way that they're able to break down the shame and the stigma around it because men are more likely to take
8: advice from their peers. Over the last year, their Instagram has gained a significant following. Suleiman says part of that is because the need for their services has increased as the pandemic has exacerbated some of the societal issues men of color face
4: the murders of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and the subsequent race riot, that was just a very, very stressful time for everybody. I mean, I think we're still kind of all traumatized from the past year. Um, But what it did for Blackman Hill, it also kind of leveraged us even more because the need of people seeking therapy really increased, but also the awareness of Blackman Hill, I think, really increased around that time maybe because of our name, or maybe because of the unique service that we were offering and specifically targeting African-American men.
8: Both Tasneem and Zakia believe their efforts through Black Man Hill are key to reshaping the narrative of men's mental wellness, removing the stigma of treatment, and also improving those larger societal issues. Black Man Hill has a long wait list of people seeking services. According to Tasneem, they get about 100 applicants a week. So one of the things they started to be able to help more people is something called King's Corner.
4: Each week, there's a different host, so we can collaborate with other organizations, other people in different topic that is applicable to men's mental health or what they're dealing with right now. We can deal with current events so the men can come and go and this is like really become a really safe space brotherhood for the men.
8: The team hopes they'll be able to continue to help even more people. Of course, the more providers and funds they have, the more men they can help.
4: We also have merchandise. You can go on our website. And Anything helps, any little bit helps. So buy a T-shirt, buy a sweatshirt. Or everything you do to help Black Men Heal goes towards the individual sessions of the men.
8: You can find out more about this organization at blackmenheal.org or find them on Instagram, again, at Black Men Hill.
0: That'll do it for this week's edition of Flashpoint. And I'll leave you with some parting advice from my father. The three keys to a happy life are to work hard, treat people right, and always remember to mind your own business. For Sherrod A. Howard, Antoinette Lee, and our amazing producer, Ariane Fulcher, I'm Jay Scott Smith telling you to take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. And always remember, hope is just not a strategy. We'll see you next week.
1: Flashpoint is a production of KYW News Radio 103.9 FM. For more, go to kywnewsradio.com/flashpoint and subscribe to the Flashpoint podcast wherever you get your shows. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives.